0: Good morning. We are talking about parenting, and as I've stated before, really, the life group lessons we're covering does not require you to be a parent. It's, it's helpful regardless of your parenting status. Children at home, children grown, parent uh, of grandchildren, or uh, you are a parent of someone else's child. You watch children. You teach children. If in any way you are working with underage children. This, this life group, I hope, will be a help to you. Today, we'll be talking about how to love children. And that is a lot harder than you might think. You look at children. Children are cute. Children are innocent. Uh, when they're younger, the older they get, the less innocent they become. And our culture has, has seemed to have sped up that process of losing their innocence. But needless to say, most adults look at children and just want to give them everything. Most adults look at children and want to do for them everything. But is that how we should love children? Do we love children by giving them everything? Do we love children by doing everything for them? If you do, you aren't loving children. You are spoiling children. And I find a whole lot of spoiling going on. From all types and all ages, I find that it is easily and quickly done by grandparents. You are the worst offenders, grandparents. I know. Don't scowl at me, Maddie. You know it's true. Don't pretend it's not. You're the worst offenders. You guys think that you did your time, you raised your children, now you get to spoil the grandchildren. Now, I want to say this, In, in good fun and in jest, the less time you have with the children, the more you can get away with, with being that grandparent who just spoils them. I mean, my parents, we see them literally one week out of the year. I don't need my parents to be the disciplinarians for the week that my children see them. I am completely fine with my parents spoiling my kids for that week that they see them out of 52. I get that. And, and you know, some of you others, it's more than a week. It's two weeks. It's four weeks. It's hit and miss. It's one, week, one day out of the week. I, I understand Two days, okay. <laughs> well, for some of you, you are 52 weeks out of, the week, out of the year. But here's the thing. The more you are around that child, the more you need to focus on the child's needs and not just, I want to be the, the spoiling, loving grandparent. If you see them occasionally, you can get away with that. But the more the child is around you, The more impact you have on that child, the more training that child will receive from you directly or indirectly. And you need to start asking yourself, am I doing this child well or harm by how I handle them when they are with me? And so loving a child is not giving a child what they want. Loving a child is giving them what they need. And sometimes they don't want what they need. And your job is to give it to them anyways. So let's talk about that. Before we do, I want to point out some books. If you've been in our church any amount of time, you've heard me mention these books before, The Five Love Languages. You're probably familiar with the original book, The Five Love Languages. And this is a book written for a husband and a wife. And it, and it essentially breaks down the art of communicating love. Because it's one thing to say I love someone, it's altogether different for them to, to feel loved by you. Look, as a pastor, I say, I try to every Sunday. I try to say, I love you. I do mean that. But does it mean anything to you? Do you as members feel that I love you? Because if you don't feel that I love you, if you don't recognize or in some way say, yes, Pastor Russ does love me, it's empty words. And, and at best, empty words, at, at worst, insulting to you every time I say it, reminding you, possibly, I hope this is not the case, but it could be a reminder weekly of my empty words and empty actions. Now take that and consider how much worse it would be in a deeper relationship, in a relationship where you are uh, covenanted together through marriage, in a relationship where you have brought a child into this world through birth, or you're the grandparent and you are raising the child, you're a guardian, Think of how much worse it is as a teacher if you're with children five days out of the week and and you say things like, I care about you guys, I I love you guys, but the students or the children say, no, you don't. That's pretty bad. And so Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, wrote other books. He wrote The Five Love Languages of Teenagers, and there was a third one I don't have with me, another book that he wrote that would be valuable for you to read, The Five Love Languages of Children, so teenagers kind of see life differently at that age than do underage, you know, preteen or even elementary age children. And so he has written these three separate books dealing with those three types of relationships. I would encourage you to pick them up. Amazon, I think around 10 bucks you can buy how to, you know, the five love languages of children. Now, I'm not going to teach through these books. That's not the purpose of this class. I am going to briefly explain what these books touch on. So the five love languages are five basic ways that people communicate and receive love. I communicate love to you, and you receive it. Now, just like um, a, a language, if I speak Spanish to you and you don't know Spanish, I could be telling you something very important. I could be very clear in my description of what I'm telling you, but if you don't speak Spanish, it means nothing to you. If you don't speak Italian, and I'm speaking Italian, it doesn't matter how great of a communicator I am. If I'm speaking a language you do not know, it means nothing to you. And it's the same way with love. You could be a great communicator of love as it is uh, related to acts of service. That's mine, by the way, acts of service. You could be the best there is. You could love people to death with your acts of service, the things you do for people. And you're willing, literally willing to to kill yourself daily in acts of service for the people you care about. They're in bed, you're up till midnight doing things around the house. You're up till one or two o'clock in the morning preparing for the next day so that when the people you love get up, everything's ready to go, right? That could be you, acts of service. But if they don't speak the love language of acts of service, you're gonna be shocked when I tell you they don't feel loved by you. How could that be? I'm up till midnight. I'm up till one. How could that be? You know, teachers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, parents, someone that works with children. How could that be? Do they not see all the things that I'm doing? Can they not notice when they come home the house is clean? That's acts of service. Do they not recognize that they eat three meals a day? That's acts of service. It's not that the meal fairy didn't feed it to them. Can they not recognize that their clothes are laid out for them? You know, if they're young, hopefully you're not doing that for teenagers, right? Can they not recognize all the things that I do and the places that I take them and, 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 you know, I'm a taxi service to them? Don't they see that? Well, I got a, a deal breaker for you. Their love language is words of encouragement. And you're so busy doing things for them, you never actually tell them, not just I love you, but you're doing a great job today. You are a wonderful gift of God to me. You are uh, important to your mother, to your father. You're important to your grandmother, to your grandfather. You're important to me as a teacher, as a person. You're important to God. Words of encouragement, telling them things, not lies, not flattery. You're not trying to manipulate them with falsehoods. No, you're telling them the truth about themselves, but you're pulling out the best parts. You're seeing the best parts because what is human nature? Human nature is usually one of two things. We usually only see the best of us or we usually only see the worst of us, right? And, and you find yourself kind of shifting back and forth throughout life. Like there was times in my life where I only saw my best. I'm like, I am good, man. I, got, I am ready to go. I'm, you know, that was my younger years. Now all I see is like mostly the worst of myself. And you kind of, I feel like as you get older, as you mature a little bit, you go from seeing the best to seeing the worst. But it's not just age. There are there's other things, traumatic experiences, how people talk to you, bullying, that could cause you also to shift from seeing the good to only seeing the bad. I don't know about the children in your life, but chances are in their immature state, chances are the children in your life are probably only seeing the best of themselves or only seeing the worst. They're probably not mature enough to recognize that there's both. And so it's your job as a lover of that child, as a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, to see the best and to remind that child that they have good that there is good, that God has given them good, that there is the best in them, and repeat it back to them constantly, constantly. Now, be wise in what you're choosing to repeat back because you are basically instilling in them confidence in the things you're telling them. So let me ask you, is there a benefit to instilling confidence in a child of their looks? To some degree, yes. Overconfidence? It becomes something altogether hurtful, in some ways even evil, as the child now thinks that their whole identity is wrapped up in their beauty. And you did that to them because that's what you chose to only compliment them on. Oh, you look so pretty today. Oh, you look so good today. That looks so nice on you. And that's all you say. And since their love language is words of encouragement, they hear it very strongly. And they think this is why I'm important, because I look good. I'm not saying you don't mention, oh, you look cute today. I would encourage you not to make that your daily compliment. Parents, grandparents, teachers, I'm not saying you can't compliment a child on nice shoes. Oh, I like your haircut today. I would say the further you are from a child in that relationship, the less you should compliment their outward appearance, as a teacher, I rarely compliment someone on their outward appearance. Only very, very rarely would I do that. And I, there's a reason why. Uh, I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers. If I notice there's a young man or young woman in our school who struggles with self-confidence. And I, it's, uh, yeah, at this point in my age, at 38, I can pick them out. I can tell the ones who are really shy and self-conscious. If they got a haircut, and, and there's, sometimes, there's sometimes girls come in, they got a haircut, they literally like wearing hoodies. Because, like, they got the haircut, they think they like it, but they don't know what people are going to say. Like, you can can sense that, right? So that's the kind of person I may say, hey, I love your new haircut today. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to compliment this girl on her hair every day, every week. That's creepy, right? No no teenage girl wants a 30-year-old teacher complimenting their hair. But one time, when she just got a haircut, would seem appropriate, and I would do that. You know what I compliment my students a whole lot more on? Way more than looks, because I rarely compliment them on their looks. Can you guess? Not their grades. Because I don't want their identity wrapped up in their grades either. So if you guessed grades, you're wrong. So there's only so many things left. What do you think it is? Their effort. Their effort. I speak the love language of compliment to my students by complimenting their efforts. Now, if the students in my class don't speak the love language of words of encouragement, it won't mean as much to them. All right? I'm going to tell you my secret here in a little bit. It won't mean as much. But for those that it means a lot to, it will mean a lot to them. It will encourage them. And it will encourage them in something that they can definitely identify with and, and regardless of their academic ability, regardless of the looks that God gave them, right? Uh, doesn't matter. They can all benefit from compliments on effort. Now, as a father... I compliment my daughter's looks all the time. I say, oh, honey, you're beautiful, oh, you're cute. But that's not, because I'm with them so much, that's one of many compliments I give them. I, uh, last night we were coming home late from the airport. We got home after midnight. I didn't get home till one. But on the way home, remember, it's not just my wife and I got five kids. Got a three-year-old, a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old. I mean, we were flying all day after being at the hotel in the morning and, and you know, going through New York City. And then we had to get our car and wait, wait for the shuttle. It, it was a long day. And on the way home, my wife turned around in the seat and said, girls, I am so proud of you for your attitudes today. And she named them all one by one. She said, Abby, you did a great job. Thank you. Kinsey, I appreciate your good attitude. Sydney, good job not being whiny today and having a good attitude. And, and even Chloe. And you know, Chloe, she smiles. You know, She's only four. Like, What does she know? But she still like, She heard her name. And she liked it. And then Drake. Drake was already asleep. But she, and she said, and Drake. And Drake was already asleep anyways. I think she was saying it more for the sake of the girls. My point is, As a parent, the more you're with the child, the more compliments you can give, and therefore the more diversity of compliments you can give, and therefore the more of the looks compliments you can give, right? But the less you're around a child, the less compliments, the less diversity. Choose wisely the compliments you give. That's my point. And I would recommend, if you're not around a child a lot, and the further you are from them in relationship, eliminate the compliments of looks, That's not nearly as valuable as the other compliments that will take that child a whole lot further and be a lot less creepy coming from adults, right? In today's society, unfortunately. But compliment children because children do communicate through words of encouragement. So if your love language is acts of service and all you do is serve, 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 and your child's love language or the child you work with in a classroom, grandchildren, whatever, teenager, their love language is words of affirmation, and you're serving them, but not affirming them, they will not feel loved by you. There are a lot of parents who love their children dearly, and there are a lot of children who don't feel it. The children may say, I know you love me, mom and dad, because they're your children, and so they know it academically, right, logically, but they don't feel it in their heart. They don't feel it in their soul, and that is so important for a child to be able to feel it necessary. Okay, so words of affirmation, acts of service, gift-giving, gifts. Now, I think almost every child likes to receive gifts. It's kind of hard to peg this one with children because what child doesn't like to get something shiny and new, right? How do you know them? Well, I think that for me, uh, when I look at children... Every child is probably going to smile a little bit, and their eyes will get a little gleam in their eye when you give them something. But you'll probably know if your child is gift-giving, not by their reaction to you giving them a gift, because that's hard to peg with children. So I'm going to give you the clue, the hint. Does a child give you a gift? Children don't know what they don't know. Children don't understand this concept of five love languages and that mommy and daddy's love language is acts of service and and words of affirmation. Mommy loves hearing compliments, and daddy loves it when I do acts of service around the house. Children don't really, as they get older, they figure that out, probably because you tell them all the time, but, you know, young children don't really know. And so young children are going to love you the way they want to be loved. You can give your children a quiz. They're online. Look up five love languages quiz for children. You'll find it. You can give it to your kid. Good luck with that. What I recommend you do is just ask yourself, how do my children love me? And I'll tell you mine. So Drake, he's three. He doesn't know what's going on. Chloe, she's turning five in in about three weeks. I know her love language. I have no doubt of her love language. The girl is always crawling on me. She's hugging on me. I I sit down and she hugs me. Uh, Yesterday we were at the pool and I sat down and she's like hugging on my neck and on my shoulder. She's like crawling all over me. The girl along the way, which without a doubt, it's physical touch. She loves to be hugged. She loves it. Like she says, Daddy, squeeze me, and I'll squeeze her. She goes, ah, you know, and, and she loves it. And then I have a daughter who is giving me things all the time. Sydney. Sydney gives me things. So does Abby. Abby likes to give me things. I have a daughter who loves compliments. Kenzie. So, it's, by the way, children don't usually have only one love language, just as adults don't use usually. it. Usually, they're, they're usually bilingual in the way that they communicate love and receive it. So there's, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're you know, given three or four love languages, chances are you're hitting one of them. If you're only giving one love language, your percentage goes down, okay? You don't put all your eggs in one basket with children is my point. So how do you know with students? How do you know with children you're not connecting with daily? How can you figure out their love language? A student at school unless they're just really desperate for love, probably isn't going to come hug you. Young children might, and you might figure out at a first grade level or a third grade level which children at that level uh, are the, gift, the love language of, of, of physical touch because at that level they may come hug you, especially if they're desperate for it. Once they get to like fourth, fifth grade, they're going to stop hugging you. And it's hard to figure that out, right? It's also students in a school don't necessarily have the opportunity to give gifts to a teacher, not as often as they would. It's hard to figure that out. And so here's what I do as a teacher. I give all five in appropriate ways to all the students. Now, how does that? How is appropriate ways with physical touch? It's, you know, high fives, fist pumping. It's with the boys, you know, slapping on the backs. Unfortunately, at this point in, in our culture, there is no proper way for teenage girls. So I don't give physical touch in any way. To teen girls. But to teen boys, yeah, slap them on the back, you know, pump them on the, on the shoulder, you know, whatever, hit them on the shoulder. Especially as a coach, basketball games, as a coach for my girls, I don't touch them at all. So, again, with, with teen girls, you're kind of out of luck. If their love language is uh, physical touch, they need to get it from someone other than, other than their teacher. <laughs> but all the other four, you're good to go. And so I can give all four to everyone, and that fifth one only in limited ways to some of my students. So you've got acts of service. You've got physical touch. You've got um, gift giving. Quality time. Unless your love language is quality time, you probably really struggle with this one. Probably very badly. This is hard. Did you catch? Quality time. Not just time. You see, it's easy enough to be with someone, to spend time with someone. You can make that sacrifice. You can like, all right, I got 10 minutes on my day. Let's do this thing. We're going to go out and go here. We're going to go do that. I'm going to take you to the park. It's easy enough to plan a vacation. It's easy enough to plan a day trip. And in your head, you're just checking off a box. In your head, you know my children, or the students of my class, or my grandchildren, my niece, my nephew, the children in my life, you know they need to be with you, and you need to be with them. So you make time for them. You ever tried to use the language you learned in high school when you traveled afar? I haven't, because my mom, in all of her great wisdom, taught told me to learn Latin. I'm not sure what the benefit of that was. That was a horrible time in my life, learning Latin. And then in college, I learned Greek and Hebrew. Like, I learned three languages that I will never use. I really wish I learned, like, six years of Spanish. That would have done me so much better. Unfortunately, I did not. I homeschooled, there, thus the Latin, and I went to Bible college, thus the Greek and Hebrew. I would, have, I would have chosen over and over again if I had just learned Spanish, but not my choice, Out of the, uh, whatever. You did learn Spanish, probably not well. You ever tried to go speak Spanish, broken Spanish, to someone? It's, it's not even Spanglish. It's not even close to Spanglish. And try to speak it to someone, to like, what are you doing? Like you're trying to speak the language, but they're like, that's not how that word is pronounced, and that's, you're saying something inappropriate to me. <laughs> like, stop it, right? You ever been there, done that, or had it done to you? That's when you make attempts at quality time, but it's not quality. It's just time. It's a broken Spanish Broken communication. And in your head, you walk away thinking, oh, I just communicated to them. And that person's like, wow, that was so offensive what they just said to me because you didn't even say what you should have said. You think you're communicating. You're not. You're just hurting that child more. You're reminding that child when you spend time with them how much you don't love them because even when there's the opportunity, you know, it's easy for a child with quality time. When you're at work, it's hard because a kid with quality time wants to be with you. It's harder when you're in the same room with them or around them, literally making a plan to be with them, let's go there, and still not quality, that's worse. Let me break it down for you. A child will probably feel worse being at home when you're at work than they would when you take them to the playground, send them off, and sit on the bench 50 feet away. If your child is not quality time, they could care less. If your child is quality time, it hurts. It hurts. And we as adults, again, if you're not quality time, you're messing it up probably. Taking them somewhere and then saying, now go have fun, is not quality. Your child is better served with 15 to 20 minutes of quality time than two hours of you just being in the same room with them. I've had parents ask, well, how can you give the child the time that they need every day? Well, first of all, you don't have to, children are pretty resilient. And as long as that child is not experiencing trauma or abuse, they probably can go, I would hope, more than a day without their, what you might call, love tank needing to be refilled. All right? I know with my children, it's not the same. Some of my kids can go a few days. Some can go a whole week. You know, one or two of them might be able to go a couple weeks without needing that love tank refilled in the ways that they receive it best. But when I fill it, boy, I fill it as high as I can. And then they go away. For a child... To need to have their love tank filled every day, there is some abuse. There's some trauma. There's some fear. There there is some issues going on if you're filling their their love tank emotionally and it's being emptied every day. There is something else you need to address, right? If you um, drove your car and you had to fill the tank every day, one of two things is happening. You're driving that car a lot. You're putting it to use a lot. Or there's a hole in your tank, right? And there's gas leaking out. All right. If you know you're driving that car a lot, then you just recognize, I need to to invest in my car and put more gas into it to, to take advantage of the fact that I use it a lot. All right. If your children go through a lot of anxiety and stress caused by the household you created for whatever reason, I can give you some examples, a missionary family. There's a lot of stress and anxiety in a missionary family. They're traveling every day, seeing new churches, seeing new places, uh, seeing new, new, new uh, pastors, and a lot of them are not very kind to the children. You know, They expect these kids to be like 18 when they're five. So if I was a missionary dad going on deputation, I would every day probably need to be filling the tank of my kids' love language. But a child who has a pretty stable life, they have a routine that works for them, they're pretty happy in their routine, and, and your, your home life isn't causing undue stress then they should not need to be filled with the love tank every day. If they do, and it's not due to the home life, then there's something outside the home life. Friends, school, bullying, figure out what's going on outside the home that's emptying their tank. There's a hole in that tank. But for most kids, it's not needed. So I don't know about you, but I can can drive my car three, four days at least before needing to get gas. I mean, for me, it's sometimes even over a week because of the routine I've got. It doesn't require as much. The routine you have, if your kid doesn't require as much, you don't need to spend, with quality time, three hours every day. It's not necessary. So stop putting that burden on yourself. I would say throughout the week, depending on the child, it could be anywhere from one to three hours throughout the week, spread out or all at once. Quality time. So if you don't understand that love language, read the book. It gives you some details on how you can, how you can um, evidence that love language, how you can give that love language how you can um, provide it to students or to children in a way that they understand. But uh, otherwise, I the think the better thing is to find someone who is quality time and talk with them, have them give you some thoughts. But we got the five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, and gifts. Figure out what your child's love language is and start communicating to them in a way that they receive it and stop assuming that they speak your language. Just because your way of loving people and feeling loved is words, encouragement, doesn't mean theirs is. Just because you feel loved and offer love through acts of service doesn't mean that the child's is. Just because you feel that warm, fuzzy feeling with gifts. By the way, gifts is like my last one. Of all five, gifts is the lowest. I, I appreciate the, the, um, the thought behind the gift, the gift, not so much. like it, My wife says, Russ, I'm sorry. Like, we didn't know what to get you. I was like, honey, I really don't care. Honestly, I just don't care. And I'm not trying to be cruel. There like, is very little... Like at Christmas, as most parents, you, you're happy that your kids are happy, right? And then gifts are about them. I can truly say that and I feel no remorse when my kids like, get me nothing or drew me a paper. Like I actually would prefer them drawing me something than anything else, right? Because it's the effort behind it because I'm an acts of service guy. So if the gift included acts of service, then that means more to me because there's service attached to the gift than just them buying something with my money and giving it back to me, which has happened. Like, that means nothing to me. So, figure out what is your child's love language and start communicating it to them in the way they understand it. Because you loving your child and your child feeling loved are two different things. And until you know that and believe that, your child's going to struggle. Now, if your child does not feel love, when I say your child, grandchild, niece, nephew, a child, young, adult, if your child, in the sense of not belonging to you, but a child that God has placed in your care, has now become one of your children. When I look at the school, I see children, not mine in the sense of I own them, but mine in the sense of God has given responsibility over them with them. And they're my children in a sense. Not that I'm their dad. I don't want to be their dad. But in a sense of, I have the responsibility to show these kids that someone loves them, that someone cares about them. And so, students in your class, neighborhood kids that you've connected with the families, if a child is in your life, then you have some responsibility to invest love into that child. Some. And the closer you are to that child, the more responsibility you have. Here's the danger, if that child in your life does not feel loved by you, then they will turn to someone else who will give them what they need. I'm not a sailor, never have been, but I've heard the stories, I've read the books, I know the history, and uh, the human body made mostly of water. And when the human body lacks water, the human body will forget everything else and will focus on that desperate need for water. Now, I'm a foodie. I love good-tasting food. I would rather eat small portions of better-tasting food than large portions of nasty food. I love good-tasting food, but I can tell you this. From what I understand about human nature and the human condition if i was dying of hunger and dying of thirst my understanding is my thirst would overtake my hunger that my desire to drink would be higher even than my desire to eat and i love good food okay and so here it is people who find themselves shipwrecked sailors who find themselves shipwrecked and they run out of water and there's no rain you know the stories what do they eventually do They know they're dying, but what do they do in a last-ditch effort to just quench temporarily their thirst? What would they do? Drink salt water. And a sailor knows it's going to kill them, right? But they don't care. They know they're dying anyways. (laughs) I just want my thirst to be quenched, even temporarily, knowing it will kill me anyways. Okay. If you're not giving your children pure water of pure, godly love in your classroom, in your family, in the relationship with them. They will drink salt water somewhere else. And the unfortunate thing is children won't know it's salt water. Children will think water is water. (laughs) And that child will be drinking salt water from social media, from fake friends online, from fake friends in class. That young lady will be drinking salt water from any young man who will uh, wink any young man doesn't care how he looks anymore. That girl's so desperate, she'll drink salt water. Like, the guy could be ugly as, as a dog. She doesn't care. He's giving her attention. He's salt water. He's not good for it, and he's ugly. It doesn't matter. She's going to take it because she's not getting pure, good water from those who have the responsibility to give it to her. Only after she says she's drunk salt water for years in a row will it finally dawn on her, these guys aren't good for me. But she'll keep drinking it. Why? I mean, she's 18 now. She's 30. She's 40. And she's still drinking salt water. Why? She's still drinking water, uh, receiving love from tainted, unhelpful sources that the more she gets it, the more it hurts her. (laughs) Salt water doesn't help you. It kills you. And the more you put in your body, the more it kills you. And yet this girl will keep drinking the metaphorical salt water of love from sources that are killing her. Why? And now she knows it. Why? Why? Because she just wants to have a temporary relief of the pain of a slow death. Emotional, slow emotional death. She wants temporary pain relieved. So she'll drink the salt water knowing that this guy looking for a one night stand only, that's all he wants from me, but at least for one night I'll be with someone. He wants nothing more from me than 30 minutes, but at least for 30 minutes someone wants something from me. And she'll drink that salt water because no one ever showed her What it's like to have pure water. No one ever gave it to her. When you aren't so thirsty that you're dying of thirst, no one's going to drink salt water. You touch it to your lips, you'll spit it out. When I was young, my parents made me gargle with it when I had a sore throat. I barely wanted to do that. I didn't even want to gargle with the stuff. I didn't even like it in my mouth. I definitely wasn't trying to drink the stuff, right? My parents forced me. You will gargle with it. And by the way, it does help. So I would go like toke it out, right? I wasn't guzzling the stuff down because I knew what real water tasted like and I wasn't dying of thirst. <laughs> Don't ever put your child in a position where they're drinking salt water. Don't ever put that little girl or that little boy in a position where they're seeking any source of water from anyone. I see these pictures All over the world, third world countries, where these little kids are drinking, I think it's water bottles because inside it doesn't look like water, but it's some kind of liquid, and I think it's more mud than anything else. Little child, I mean, you know they're drinking because it's literally like this it's going down their throat. And there's no way I would ever drink that stuff. Children doing this because they don't have pure water available to them. And that's a sad thing. You know what's worse than that? Is children drinking tainted, muddy water emotionally, because they don't have someone in their life who loves them like God loves them. Purely, with no, mo- no uh, ulterior motives, with no manipulation, with no desire to control that child. They just want to love them like God loves them. Pure water. You say, Pastor us, how can I protect my little daughter from chasing after men who will use her and abuse her? Show her what pure water looks like. She has a lot better chance. <laughs> a lot better chance when she knows the real deal from a man, a grandfather, an uncle, a father, hopefully, preferably, show her what real, pure love looks like. Now she has something to compare it to, a lot less likely to chase after muddy salt water. And so adults, I think we know this, and I think in our heart, we try to give that to our children, but as I stated, if you're only doing it in one love language and it's not your child's love language, then they will look for it from someone else. And you say, but I'm giving them pure water. I'm giving them the pure water of acts of service. They can see what it's like to be loved. Oh, may they be able to see it, but they don't feel it, and that's not enough for them. They want to feel it, and they'll feel it from some other source, not as good as you. So figure out your child's love language, and until you do, give all five. And if you have children in your life where you're not able to figure out, or you have so many children in your life like me, i got, you know, hundreds of kids in my life with the school, I, there's no way I'm going to uniquely give to every student in our school what they need. So you know what I do? I give, as I said, of the five, I give four to all of my students. Four. As much as I can. And then the fifth one, only to a select few, only guys. And only in select ways. That's the, the physical touch. You know, high five, fist pump. Slap on the back. And there are ways you can do that even for students. Gifts, giving. I buy donuts for my kids with my own money. Every time they take a test, I give them donuts. That's gift giving. And they know that. It's coming from me. Quality time. Above and beyond the field trips that our school does with our students, I try to take my classes on a field trip, just me and them, at least once, try to twice a year. I also try to spend time with them talking between classes, after school, sports, whatever. Words of affirmation, I do that all the time. In fact, that's the one I do most. But then I choose very very thoughtfully how do I want to communicate words of affirmation to this child and what is it I want to build up in this child. I do not want to build up their identity in good looks. So very rarely do I compliment their looks. I'm complimenting character. And for me as a teacher, effort more than anything else. Complimenting effort. I don't want their identity wrapped up in grades, so I don't compliment their grades ever. Like very rarely ever. If I'm complimenting a grade, I'm doing it through the effort. Like, great job. Hey, you notice how your grade went up? I noticed you worked a lot harder. So I'm recognizing your grade, but I'm complimenting the effort. Okay. Acts of service. Well, as a teacher, my job is literally acts of service, right? The students don't know that. So guess what? I tell them. I literally tell them. I say, guys, you know I'm here for you, right? Like, I'm not here for the pay. I don't get paid enough to stay here. I say, none of the teachers get paid enough. I tell them that. And I say, my teachers, including me, we're here because we want to serve you and we want to help you. And I also say, if you need help with the test, see me at lunch, see me here, see me then so I can help you with the test. So acts of service. Adults, you can do this. The question is, do you want to? Do you love that child so much you want to give them what they need, not what's easy for you? Because most Parenting, in my experience, most parenting, are parents doing what's easy for them, not what's best for the child. It is easiest for the parent to love the child in the way the parent communicates love. So that's all they do. It is easiest for the parent to work and deal with adults in the office than to come home and deal with children. So they're at work a whole lot more than they are at home. It's easiest for the parent to, when they come home, to turn on the TV and send their kids off to another room. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not saying kids need to be in your presence all day, every day. I'm not saying that the kids can't be independent. What I'm saying is it can be dangerous when that's all you do, what's easy for you. Obviously, as an adult, you do need to take time to recuperate from the day. You do need to take time to refresh, but your kids need you. Grandparents, what do your kids need? Not what just you want to give them, not just what comes easy. What do your kids need? Because you are investing in children. And there will be a return on that investment. And bad investments bring bad returns. Good investments bring good returns. And if we all knew the future, we'd all be rich because we'd buy stocks that would make us millionaires and billionaires if we knew the future. We don't know the future. So, in this room, we ain't rich. But I'll tell you what, God gives us insight into the human condition, wisdom regarding the human condition, that you may not know the future of a child, but you have a lot better idea of how that could look with the wisdom and insight God's word gives you. You have a lot better chance of proper investments and strong returns with children than you ever do with the stock market. So why aren't you taking advantage of that wisdom, investing in children, in positive ways, godly ways, biblical ways, that will bring about a strong inve- return on that investment. Now, I had not intended to talk so much on these books. I'm going to stop now. We're almost done with our time. So, the five love languages. There are, there's a third one I recommend getting, and that's the five love languages of children. So, this is teenagers. The first one, just the standard five love, love languages, is, is a book for uh, married couples, those in in relationships, uh, adult relationships, and then the other two, teenagers and children, would be for those God has placed under you. So we'll pick back up next week as we talk about 1 Corinthians 13, which was my plan to look into today, was 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, talking about how we can love our, our children. As I said, God gives you insight. God gives you wisdom to be able to do it where you get a strong return on that investment. 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of the cheat sheet. 1 Corinthians 13 is the insider trading, you might say, of loving children, and uh, if, you, if, you, if you know anything about insider trading, you hedge your bets, right? You'll know a lot more than most people know and have a lot better chance of, of getting money. It's illegal, by the way. Don't do it. Uh, but it's illegal because you're basically cheating. God is saying, let's cheat. I'm going I'm to tell you what to do so that the children have the best possible chance of turning out strong, independent lovers of God. God says, I'm going to let you cheat. I'm going to give you what you need to know. And it's found in First Corinthians 13. And that's what we'll look at next time we're together, next week. Let's pray.